Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Julia Long, a lesbian feminist who worked for many years to promote the rights and opportunities of women and girls across a range of areas and sectors. She has written, researched, and organized against male violence against women, including pornography and the wider sex industry. And she organized the first ever feminist conference on transgenderism in 2016. She was the lead author of the three most recent reports from the Femicide Census, and she is currently focused on separatism and creativity. I welcome Julia Long to Savage Minds. I wanted to begin with your article last year, A Meaningful Transition, where you mm -hmm. reference several actors in the gender critical movement whom you characterize as media feminists. Your article has a backstory that I would like to kick off our discussion here, since there seems to be a move against women by certain of these media feminists who lay claim to being gender critical, yet, and quite paradoxically, feed into the gender identity narrative. I'm speaking of preferred pronouns, being nice when it suits them, of course, because many of the ones I'm referring to actually misgender when it suits them, right? Mm -hmm. A man in a dress attacked me. Can you mm -hmm. discuss where this began and the events leading up to your writing your piece? Well, the, where it began in terms of what motivated me to write that piece? Well, yes, but also the backstory, because I know that this is not the first manifestation of this kind of, of calling out of women, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I suppose with these things that are about taking a particular stance or having a particular perspective, it's a bit hard to locate exactly where they began. But I think um, uh, prior to the, you know, the, uh, the really what seemed to be a real turning point in that you know, the, the speaker's corner um, uh, incident and the event the um, that Venice Allen and others had organized um, back in September 2017. Um, prior to that there was very little in the way of activism around this. Um, I'd organized uh, an event, a conference called Thinking Differently in the summer of, actually it's five years ago now, yeah, five years ago because it was the summer, July of 2016. And I'd also participated in various actions that a few of us had done in the UK um, uh, to really try to raise women's awareness of the whole <laughs> massive problem of transgenderism and the mainstreaming of transgenderism. Um, but prior to that, I think, um, uh, so in those days, prior to that, sort of September 2017, there really, most uh, most of the feminist groups seemed to be pretty much um, on side, or they didn't really see transgenderism, transgenderism, <laughs> transgenderism as, a, as a particular problem, or they thought that um, it didn't deserve that much attention or whatever, or they were just positively pro-trans and against us. So then obviously there was all this um, discussion, increasing discussion about it on platforms like Mumsnet. And so I think it was when it started, when I started noticing this, what I find really quite weird um, and bizarre inconsistency around, um, uh, around understanding transgenderism, which it seems to involve yeah, as you say, very inconsistent use of sometimes preferred pronouns when they like this particular man and uh, calling him a man when they don't like him, you know, this kind of thing. Um, it seemed to me when I noticed it, when the the women from Mumsnet then moved on to set up a Facebook group and um, I was added to that. Um, and, I, you know, to begin with, I was I was so pleased to see that the, you know, there was an awareness of the seriousness of what was going on, and there certainly were, you know, some women who wanted to, wanted to do something about it and were discussing it. But then, in one of these groups, anyway, I just really soon started to see this odd use of, you know, someone maybe posting 
about some particular man, you know, as they might have called him, you know, a trans woman, whatever, in inverted commas, um, and saying, you know, what a problem this was, blah, blah, blah. But then throughout, referring to him as she, and then other women on the thread, all saying, but, you know, saying she does this and she that. And she, and it was, to me, it was just as, like, really bizarre. I, I couldn't understand why they were doing it, because apart from anything else, it's so completely illogical, like, in the most basic kind of way the most fundamental way so I suppose that's where I started noticing it and it, it seemed to me that then obviously um, in terms of moving offline in terms of the public meetings um, Venice um, and various uh, you know associates of hers were doing these public meetings and then she started doing some on her own as I recall and then obviously there was Women's Place UK, he started doing some, and I and it became apparent, well, certainly from, I think they, the first one was in Cambridge, I think that was the first, but from the first one that they held in London, um, which I found to be just this exercise in gaslighting, um, uh, there was, uh, there were a couple of these men who at the time, I think were claiming to be trans women or transsexuals or something and probably still calling themselves she and then later on they said oh no I'm he or whatever but anyway there were these men in the audience and I said um uh, I wasn't speaking from the platform of course but I was in the audience and as a member of the audience I said there's no such thing as a trans woman um and it's really it's imperative that we call them he and for that I was really seen as this you know, this terrible, unkind woman who was sneering and disrespectful. And I remember seeing some of the commentary about it on Twitter, where um, I was quite surprised at some of the women who were liking the tweets by these men that were, um, uh, you know, really denouncing me as this terrible person uh, for just quite straightforwardly calling them men, which they were, and which um, I don't even know now, but the, they just seem to try to sit in some weird middle ground where they get some kind of recognition from women because they acknowledge that they're male, but they still call themselves things like Debbie and Christina and prance around in dresses and things and uh, turn up at events. So it's it's really very bizarre. So that I think that particular meeting, oh, the... the um, uh, Women's Place UK representative who was chairing the meeting also denounced me and um, apologised to these men um, kind of uh, for for my behaviour or for, for what I said so it was so from that point it was really really clear that there was going to be this really fundamental split between what I think is it's probably the most fundamental thing is that, you know until if you don't understand these men as being men not you don't really understand any of the rest of it um the reason why transgenderism is a problem aside from obviously all the what follows from these men pretending to be women which is now obviously all the the phenomenon of children being treated as though they're born in the wrong body etc um but the reason why it's such a problem for women is that men are then claiming to be women and all the things that that go along with that you know men in women's spaces the destruction of our language um the destruct the 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 violation of our spaces and um and sometimes uh, our bodies as well so that that all comes from the fact that men are pretending to be women and if you don't understand that I don't really see how you can understand what a huge problem it is. So it's a it's a huge difference, and so that's why I eventually wrote that wrote that piece. But I'd been speaking out quite a bit about it beforehand. But um, but uh, yeah, Jennifer Bielek had written a piece where she mentioned some of the um, some of the the British men who are very much um, who've kind of embedded themselves within inverted commas, gender critical feminism, such as this man called Hayton, who calls himself Debbie Hayton, another one who calls himself Christina Harrison. Um, I don't know 
as she mentioned, another one who calls himself Miranda Yardley. So anyway, she, she'd written this piece and I felt there was more to be said about it. And Jennifer really encouraged me to write the piece. So that's a very long answer <laughs> to your question. As you know, I met you end of winter 2013 in that cafe on Goswell Road. And it was our first meeting. Mm. I had been living in the UK less than a year as a resident. And I remember you saying to me, why are you saying she? Because I did that in our conversation. <laughs> because we all, well, we all, not you. Hey, <laughs> you're great. But no, a lot of us, we're cognitively aware sex is immutable. We're cognitively aware that even the old school transsexuals, as it were, did not change sex. We were, mm. we're all aware this is com cosmetic surgery when it's actually being performed. And somehow we've been streamlined into this very unconscious or conscious, depending on where you're coming from, nice politics of just give them what they want because it'll help them. And I almost feel like dealing with the trans issue is like being on a 24-7 suicide hotline because people will look at you, my God, what did you say? I, I think I told you uh, in one conversation that I lost a lifetime friend over this issue. Mm. And it, not just one friend, but this was a very old friend, by the way. People have written me, friends have said, why are you banging on about this? And I myself have to wonder, because I don't want to only talk about this issue within my work and I've stepped away from it because, oh my God, I have days where I wake up laughing hysterically and I think, what madness is this? Has someone pranked us? Because we are dealing with that day when you said, why are you saying she? It hit me inside and I thought, mm. well, she's absolutely right. And, and it caused me to just question the way in which we are groomed, and I'm talking we with PhDs, we in academia, we with brains that function quite well, except we do this shortcut when it comes to these people, because we are groomed to speak about it a certain way in the same way that the BBC and other odious media runs piece after piece about the 11 year old girl who got married to a 45 year old man. It's like, that's not marriage, that's rape. And mm. we've all seen these stories, but yet we unconsciously let go of that. And we, oh, look, they got mm. married. That's Pakistan for you. And there's no criticism beyond that weird headline. Mm. So I'm just thinking about the way in which this, this issue has hit. Obviously, you've been talking about this for years. Janice Raymond, she Sheila Jeffries, far, far beyond, in fact. And then I came into this in 2012, was mm. researching it, met up with you at the beginning of 2013, and then wrote a piece in a leftist American publication that ran several others of mine until that day came several years later when my editor said, we cannot do this anymore because it's too much of a hassle. We get too much mm. hate mail. Meanwhile, since then, they said they weren't going to do any more gender pieces, but they've been running trans pieces left, right, and center. So the left has been not only fully captured, but independent media on the left, which is really shocking to me, has mm -hmm. as well. I'm not surprised by CNN. I'm not surprised by all the other major media that gets its money from Big Pharma. FYI, Monday morning opened up my inbox. Reuters sent me a PDF, lock, stock and barrel for a conference this fall on Big Pharma for Big Pharma, all the Big Pharma people are paying Reuters to run a conference for them. So when you start to talk about why is this happening, it's also hitting as far as the COVID vaccines. There's a reason why we're getting the messages we are. So you've got the media part, but you've got the elision of women's rights from the very feminists themselves that you mention in your piece, A Meaningful Transition, where you have women telling us don't be mean, just say he. What is going on that, that people are, I mean, I'm thinking of, I'm going to quote yourself here. You write in that, in that article, language determines what is perceptible, thinkable, and possible and knowable within a culture. Language develops to support and enable different ways of thinking, or it's suppressed in order to discourage them. 
So you go on to show how social distancing and self-isolation popped up on the social radar and are now firmly implanted in our lingua franca. You then go on to note that high-profile groups such as a Women's Place UK and Fair Play for Women that claim to be in favor of the rights of trans people use terms like trans woman and she pronouns to mm. refer to these men. So mm. how is it that we have organizations trying to work forward through this issue, but are making own goals in the way of trying to work forward? Because it's impossible to convince the Joe Schmo listening to an interview, hearing someone say, but these are men, but mm. she, like, it doesn't make <laughs> sense, does it? <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's just this is what I this is what I'm saying. It's the most bizarre contradiction. I think I think there are probably a few reasons for it. I mean, my uh, maybe partly one of the things might be a little bit to do with age and the kinds of uh, the kinds of sort of traditions that we're coming from. I mean, I'm old enough to have had access to a radical feminist education when you know when I went to university now obviously that isn't essential because someone like uh, Kelly J Keane can very much um, she sees it very clearly in the same way as I do in terms of the the absolute kind of fundamental importance of naming men as men and she's coming from a very very different place than I am so I don't think these things are essential but certainly my education very much involved um, engaging with radical feminist texts and perspectives which um, because I've always been very interested in language and the, the you know the role of language in maintaining systems of oppression or, um, and so I read a lot of the radical feminist work on um, you know women and language you know broadly speaking. And so one of the really fundamental uh, tenets of that work is, is, is the, the, the crucial role that language plays. You know, I don't know if you've read you know, Julia, Julia Penelope, obviously Dale Spender, um, Dworkin, obviously Mary Daly, you know, they all talk about the, the power of naming, the importance of naming and who gets to name what and how that um, you know how that shapes our perceptions, but it's not—it's not even just a radical feminist writing on this. I mean, I think what I'm saying is—it's fairly—it's—it's it's very well, you know, well treated in various aspects of um, you know linguistics and theory around language, that sociolinguistics, the you know the importance of the the kind of instrumental role between language thinking, uh, material reality, you know, these kinds of things. So it's, I would have thought it's, you know, it's all like fairly elementary. And so it is quite astonishing that, um, that these women really go out of their way to, to kind of, I don't know, just not to name, not to name men clearly is the main thing that they're doing. And then there's all the vocabulary that's attached to that. Um, but I do think maybe part of it, well, not maybe, I do think part of it is the kind of general amnesia around radical feminist writing. And I, a lot of the women who are who have now become, certainly in the UK, who've become very central players in the activist world around this, the kind of gender critical feminists, um, do not have a background in, you know, radical feminist uh, literature or politics or you know anything like that and so I think they're coming they're coming to it from a position of um, their understanding of political negotiation and how you how you do political negotiation and lobbying um, which seems to involve uh, and very much I think um, feminine socialization so it seems to, it seems to me from what I can see of their approach that it seems to involve um, this whole kind of playing nice thing in inverted commas and the the playing nice then also seems to very much involve uh, calling men she and not only that but also opening every speech or interview or piece of writing or you know whatever it is that the campaign literature by saying um, 
we fully support trans rights and I, transgender rights and um, I don't know any feminist who doesn't support transgender rights, you know, this kind of absolute nonsense. Um, but that seems to be what they feel they have to do. And they probably genuinely believe it. I think they actually do believe that. Um, but that seems to be what they feel uh, compelled to do before they begin to, you know, put up their hand and say, oh, by the way, please, can we have our sex based rights as well? Um, so it's a really, yeah, it, it, I think it's, it's it, it, to me, it really highlights um, the kind of lack, lack of feminism within the gender critical movement. And also the, um, I think the kind of lack of thinking and the, the kind of, you know, credulity really that's, that's, um, that's involved in the, the lack of critical thinking about what transgenderism is or, you know, the claims that are made around that. And the fact that clearly there's no such thing as a trans woman or a trans man or a non-binary person. There's no such thing. If you can't change sex, there's no such thing as being a transgender. That's that's so kind of blatantly obvious. Why would you ever then open your, uh, you know, make your opening gambit that we fully support transgender rights when those things uh, relate to a, a fiction, just a nonsense? Why would you begin by completely shooting yourself in the foot and saying that? Because then you're always going to be in this defensive position, which actually doesn't make sense. And I think that's what maybe they don't realise. I Certainly early on when I actually engaged some of these women um, on you know, platforms like Facebook, um, they would say, oh, well, we have to appeal to the listener and we, um, you know, we have to meet people halfway. But certainly women that I that I've met who um who I've only got to know through this kind of gender uh, uh, sorry there was a motorbike going past uh, um that I've got to know through going to you know these meetings that have said to me um well I was really confused that I went to this Women's Face UK meeting which I thought was all about women you know the assertion of women's rights and um, a serious challenge to transgender ideology. But I was really confused then when they were talking about, well, either maybe Harrison might have been speaking or Hayton might have been speaking because they were frequently platformed for quite a while by, uh, by that group. Um, but whether they were or not, certainly like what was seen, what was, what was understood to be speakable within those meetings involved this um making this allowance for this special cohort of um supposedly genuine transsexuals who then get called she uh, um and uh, were you know it wasn't seen as a problem or you certainly wouldn't confront them if you happen to um encounter them in the women's toilets for example well, it is a disconnect because they make the claim that women need separate spaces like toilets, but at these very events, they're allowing it to happen. And so they can, they are unable to put their money where their mouth is, as it were. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And then it completely emboldens these men to um, turn up at our events. And uh, I mean, a, a massive problem is the kind of fawning over them, which you know, I can say a bit about that, but that is a massive problem. It's, um, again, it's, 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 I don't know, it's just such a, a glaring and quite, to me, quite unbelievable contradiction that when you're setting up an event that is, you know, about asserting women's rights and assert, you know, um, creating a space for women to talk about what a problem these men are by, you know, invading our spaces, that smack bang in the middle of one of these events, um, you have this, this man prancing around in a dress who maybe says something and then gets a, a massive you know round of applause or a standing ovation that it's it, it seems to me i was speaking about this the other day with um, a woman that i'd met at an event which i'll talk about um and we were saying that this is actually a very very straightforward issue transgenderism is a very very straightforward issue um that involves what happens when 
when men pretend to be women and that is given um, uh, social and political credence. That's what it's about. So how you have to really go out of your way to complicate it by then, uh, you know, allowing certain of these men in and creating it as a kind of taboo that anyone can name them as men and that they get, you know, uh, lauded for the, the supposed work that they do in their allyship. It's, you're kind of going out of your way to, to really, in the most fundamental way, muddy the waters when it's such a, it's such a straightforward issue that you just, you know, you would just see them actually in some ways as being, being the worst ones because they, they want to weasel their way into women's spaces where women are supposed to be critiquing the whole thing. So it's, I think so much of it has to do with feminine socialization and a, a lack of, um, a lack of clear thinking and certainly a lack of any kind of really elementary radical feminist understanding but even a lack of common sense I think but let me say something about this um, event that I went to so um, uh, I, um, a few of us uh, went up to Glasgow at, at um, the beginning of the week um, there was a rally in support of Marion Miller um, I'm sure you're, you're well aware of this case who is being uh, who's been charged with malicious um, uh, malicious communications because of some some tweets uh, that she that she posted um, a while ago, one of which um, was a um, an image of a suffragette ribbon tied you know, tied for a fence um, that this man's claiming again absolutely you know kind of absurdly that claiming that it looked like a noose uh, anyway so all of this kind of it seems to be a very much a, you know there's a very much um a sort of definitely sort of vexatious motive in in uh, this these charges and this prosecution obviously it's all uh, taking place under the well there's this new uh, hate crime legislation that's coming in in scotland I, that hasn't, I, I believe that hasn't actually uh, been passed yet, but it's it, within that context of the, you know, all the lobbying around that. Anyway, so there was a rally to support her held on Tuesday afternoon in um, uh, in Glasgow, and it was fantastic. There were absolutely a lot of women there, um, some men as well, and there were absolutely uh, brilliant speeches. It was really um, just a really fantastic event. And then, I saw um, the man who calls himself Debbie Hayton, uh, I'll just call him Hayton. Um, I saw him sort of wandering around in this uh, summer, very absurd looking uh, feminine sort of summer dress uh, among the, the placards and the banners and then turning up at the social event after in, a, you know, one, of, in one of these pub beer gardens. Um, it, it, and I saw afterwards as well photos of him on social media with, you know, kind of smiling women around. I, I don't know if they were happy to, to be in photos with him um, or they felt very uncomfortable about it. But certainly it was, it was again, this glaring contradiction that, um, that this man should, should have any place at this event when he embodies he's the absolute embodiment of the problem that that the whole event was there to address it was it's just absolutely bizarre and to her absolute credit i know that kelly j or you know some people know her as posey parker um confronted him directly about that and i'm i really i really um i really absolutely respect and admire her for doing that to be honest, I, I did not want to engage with him at all. I just don't want him to be there. And I do, I, I really feel it's time that we held women who are organizing these events accountable to, to make it really clear to these men that they are not welcome there, that they are not welcome because I don't want to have this man in this space um, as uh, it's, it's such an insult to all of us who are there. Um, and I also don't want to, I know that Kelly J did go on, um, you know, she did uh, absolutely 
uh, confront and challenge him and tell him that he had no right to be there. But I don't want, I don't want to have any engagement with these men whatsoever. I don't want them to be there. And I really feel it's time now for anyone organizing the event to make that absolutely clear. Um, because I think it's it's thoroughly unfair to subject the women at these events to that kind of um, violation. It's it's a complete violation that these men turn up, and it's it's even added, it's even more it's adding insult to injury that they get lauded and applauded. And the thing is, it I mean it is noticeable that Women's Place UK um, platformed these men a lot in the first I don't know year or two of their um, of their public meetings a lot. I mean more than anyone else as I recall about half a dozen times I think and um they they were always you know given you know huge rounds of applause they were always absolutely kind of baited and welcomed and introduced as trans women and you know all this kind of thing um I think it's it's noticeable that then um obviously there's been the you know the whole lockdown period but in the in the you know number of meetings maybe the the last year of the meetings before the lockdown um, these men were were not as evident, certainly on the platform, although still often there in the audience. But by that stage, it, I think it didn't really matter if they were on the platform or not, because they were certainly in the heads of whoever was speaking, whoever was chairing, and whoever was in the audience. That was really abundantly clear because certain things, you know, when these, you know, when these men or you know when men are in the you know occupying that mental space in women's minds and uh, consciousness certain things become completely unspeakable and that was what i noticed that certain things were unspeakable in those meetings the the clarity around and the importance of naming men as men was unspeakable in those meetings and in one of the ones that i found that i really felt um that I'd have to just stop even going as an observer to these meetings because I found it was really um, actually damaging to my mental health in a really, really serious way. It had a really bad effect on me. It was when I went to a meeting that they held in London. I don't remember the date. It must have been probably sometime in 2019, I think. I don't remember exactly, exactly when it was. Um, I remember Selena Todd, you know, the, the Oxford professor, the Oxford historian, she was speaking, Hayton was in the audience, and she kind of broke off from what she was saying to acknowledge him and thank him for his work. And there was this huge round of applause in, you know, in the hall. So to me, that, that, that says so much about whether the man is on the platform or not. He is absolutely there in women's consciousness and he's absolutely there to be lauded and congratulated and, you know, very much like more than accommodated, absolutely have the red carpet rolled out for him. So that was just so appalling and really spoke volumes to me about, um, about the whole phenomenon. And I do hold Women's Place UK very much responsible for introducing him right into the middle of the kind of gender critical feminist uh, uh, arena whether or not they've platformed him recently the job has been done you're listening to savage minds and we hope you're enjoying the show please consider subscribing we don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you now back to our show well, he also was at that event paid by the spectator to cover it. And Kelly J told me she addressed this with him because I, I'll give you a side example here. Mm. I'm fundraising yeah, yeah. to pay writers for Savage Minds. Now, get, get this most of our, the full time writers that I pay are women so far. Mm. Now, mm. get this. This is just ironic. Um, it's a struggle to raise funds. Meanwhile, there was a fundraising for a new lesbian and gay publication, which ran on the promise to pay freelancers recently, which actually is not true. They got yeah. money because, of course, it's a guy doing the fundraising. Skip to, as you well remember, the fundraising for someone's unnamed 
facial feminization surgery, which got funded <laughs> to the gills. I think, so I, I, think said, can, I think we can name the person, can't we? <laughs> because it was very public. I mean, it was a public crowdfunder, so well, why true. not? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was him, was it? Theon, somewhat a man who calls himself Theon, or I mean, the names are very funny as well. It was, yeah, it is Fiona Orlander. I was saying I wasn't named who funded it, but there's actually more than one GC feminist who calls herself GC feminist who funded his facial feminization surgery. Oh, and so sure I thought, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I and I thought not. I should just I advertise that. myself as a trans man, announce that I want to remove my breasts, and I'll have funding to pay writers tomorrow. Absolutely. You're missing a trick there, Julian. Absolutely. And let's not forget, again, because it was very, uh, very public, the very public um, announcement that someone, that Kathleen Stock was going to, uh, you know, donate and, and support it. I mean, again, the sheer, the sheer contradiction and the sheer, the level of gaslighting of women I find intolerable, absolutely intolerable, which is why I really now on the whole don't um well i try not to engage too much with all of that 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 whole kind of there's a group isn't there there's uh, fair play for women women's place uk and then the associated the kind of uh, maybe the academic wing which is um uh kathleen stock uh obviously judy bindle very much a part of all of that now i don't really uh, to be honest i know that there's this new helen joyce book because um, I, I'm aware of her. I kind of know uh, that she was a, an editor at The Economist, I believe. Um, I haven't I haven't read the book. Um, I'm not going to be buying it, definitely. I'm not going to be spending money on it. Going two steps back, when you and Kelly J went to the HRC in, I believe it was January, February 2019, yes, you spoke up. Mm -hmm. You went to a meeting where Sarah McBride, the then head of press for the HRC, and this is not incidental, but it is parenthetical, I wrote the HRC for years, never got one answer, not one answer, and I'm talking, I called, I faxed too, when they wouldn't answer email, until McBride left and was elected to the state Delaware seat in the Senate. So you two went and did something I thought was brilliant, because the people who critiqued you, and these were the same it was it was Bindel, it was Stock, it was Jane Claire Jones accusing you, and then by default me because I defended you and Kelly Jane. I got a shitstorm laid upon me for not just that yeah. moment. It happened during lockdown. I was accused of all these things. I was in the hospital with my daughter. I was like, what the hell? Anyways, these people have organized to they hermetically seal themselves on Twitter. They retweet only their own BFF stories. Their BFF. So, of course, you know, there are recent uh, elements that have come to the fore that one can wonder, well, are these people reading outside the hermetic bubble on Twitter? Mm -hmm. And as you mm -hmm. said the other day when we spoke, if you don't have a Twitter account, you don't exist, which I found quite brilliant because there's a side of this whole debate, which is taking place uniquely on Twitter. Meanwhile, over years in Kelly J's pr presentation, in DC, where I was telling in a private group, Jane Claire Jones said, you don't know how to do politics to me. And I said, well, that's how you do activism. That's the heritage of political activism in my country. I don't know where you think, you know, I, I wouldn't have liked to see Jane Claire Jones in the 1950s telling people that's sort of rude to be sitting down in the middle of the street blocking traffic. Like what on earth are, are, is she thinking? But this I'm woker than thou attitude has hurt women. I really yeah. can say. Now, the good thing about Helen Joyce's book is she takes a whole dissection of the issue for the person who has only read a few articles in the media. And she lays mm -hmm. it all bare. So I think for a wider audience, this is going to be groundbreaking for them because the reality is, getting back to where you were earlier, if gender critical feminists cannot stop saying trans women and preferred pronouns, we're in a deep load of shit because the idea here, and I've spoken to Heather Brunskill Evans about this because mm -hmm. she's talked about the invention of the transgender child, but we talk a lot about the invention of transgender. There is no such thing as a transgender person outside of medical language, medical pathology. Now, 
big pharma and big tech ideology. And those are hand in hand because these are multi-billion dollar operations that ensure that you and I will be put back in our place. One has to wonder, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but one must wonder to what degree, is it a coincidence we're living in the 1950s again? You know, like I sort of want Michael J. Fox back to make a new film, Back to the Future, <laughs> but on this issue, because we are really, I'm not being facetious, but we are living in a 1950s era, but more cruel because at least in the 1950s, the men knew who were men and the women knew who were women and vice versa. And now we're being sold this old style misogyny, but men are telling us. So in an interesting way, Twitter has fed the flame of this, but it's not really being helpful to women. When I've got trolls who are supposedly on our side telling me I shouldn't be defending you and Posey's actions. And the HRC protest, what these women do not realize is that you put the fire under the asses of journalists in the US such that some prominent journalists started to cover it. And before they had not, they just mm -hmm. had not. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, let's, um, there's, a, there's a couple of thoughts uh, going through my head as, as you're speaking. Um, just to clarify, because there was so much nonsense uh, nonsense uh, tweeted and uh, written about that that particular encounter where Kelly J and I uh, challenged Mr. McBride. So just to clarify, we were actually in um, in the Congress buildings, obviously in the. In I knew DC. that. That's right. We were, yeah, yeah. We were in the con just just sort of for the listeners. We were in the Congress buildings. We were there um, uh, having meetings with staffers about the Equality Act and about the um, the aspects of that, which would um, and now obviously it's come to pass, which would. Uh, uh, give uh, protections around gender identity in you know with, within that act. So we were there very much. We were uh, we were there with uh, various members of Wolf and I think some other um, there were other women there and we were working very hard. We were you know working long days going from meeting to meeting uh, with uh, these staffers and uh, really trying to you know raise awareness of all of all the problems and uh, lobby around that. So that's why we were there. Um, it was by sheer coincidence that Mr. McBride and um, various others were there as well. They were uh, the polar opposite, um, making a video that was promoting the whole idea of uh, supposed, you know, supposed transgender children. So they were absolutely promoting child abuse uh, right in the heart of um, of the building and of the institution with um i think it was joe kennedy i think i think is his name you know one of the younger you know younger kennedys um and so it was in that context we'd seen some of this filming going on and sarah mcbride was still there after the filming he'd gone into a room with an open door and appeared to be looking through the the footage of the of the um film so that was the context and kelly j again to her absolute credit said to me Sarah Bride's still here shall we shall we go and challenge him um and at the time I I, I maybe vaguely knew I don't think I even knew who he was but she, anyway she told me who he was and um she's always very technologically prepared as well she was there with her phone at the ready to film it so we went in and it was really you know very much to her credit and I think it would have been an absolute dereliction of duty if we hadn't done that I think shame on us if we had that opportunity to go in and challenge him directly, having just heard the day before these mothers and, well, parents, but mainly mothers, talking about the horrific, horrific situation that their children were in, where the children had, um, you know, uh, basically uh, left, you know, uh, um, rejected their families and were going through terrible uh, abuse of having um, uh, you know double mastectomies hysterectomies like you know all these terrible things that were being done um, that was absolutely the kind of you know the kind of horrors that McBride's video was championing so of course we were going to challenge him and I think it's really interesting that kind of squeamishness about um, 
well, not just squeamishness, but absolutely denouncing us for doing that really shows the, the lack of um, feminist or activist background of a lot of these main, you know, kind of inverted commas main players now, like Kathleen Stock or Jane Claire Jones, because it, it's so funny. I think a lot of people, you know, here years ago, we had this um, uh, uh, Section 28 uh, uh bill that they were trying to pass and did get passed that was going to outlaw the um talking about uh homosexuality talking about lesbian and gay life in um, in schools um and other other elements of it as well and i remember there was some great act there was some great activism then then there was um the this group of lesbians who the lesbian avengers who uh, abseiled into the house of lords and they also um basically invaded the bbc and disrupted the news and that is all now seen as a really important part of our history um so it was really it was really interesting for me to uh, to witness that i think these people like direct action as long as it's safely in the past and it doesn't involve anyone doing anything now as long but where where you're doing it now and there's that immediacy of it they feel obliged to denounce it and it just seems to me a real kind of a lack of politics and a, I don't know just a lack of anything certainly a, a, a lack of um uh, loyalty and commitment to women but it was interesting that you know all the ones who joined in that pylon at the time and there were loads of them saying we were a fucking embarrassment and we were this that and the other you know it was really um it was really pretty vicious but you had someone like Julie Bindle also joining joining in that very much participating with that, all that but obviously Julie has got some history of you know I would think some kind of direct action herself direct activism um, so it's strange to me, you know, that she would be so willing to, to get on board and, and denounce us. So there's something really quite strange going on. But, um, but it, it's also, I think, very much within these very kind of, I would see them as a very kind of liberal element within the, the movement, um, that they are also very, very squeamish about women's anger. You know, you mustn't show that you're angry. And I think that, oh, you mustn't even probably be angry. I don't know. I, I don't know. But certainly we've been denounced at very, uh, various occasions for, for really just um, being, you know, being very open about how uh, anger doesn't even cover it, really, does it? How can you, how can you find a word to say that, you know, a, a, a sort of legitimate response to all of this? Um, but they, yeah, I've been thinking a lot. I'm going to talk at the weekend about um, Marilyn Fry's essay on anger, um, I, because I think it's very interesting the way that anger has, be, has been made a taboo within this wider uh, gender critical movement. But the other thing, um, Julian, that I that I wanted uh, that I wanted to talk about, I've only we can only speak for about five minutes more because <laughs> because I have to go to work. But the thing that you you kind of started to touch on there that I think is is very much a part of this is the, is the creation of social media narratives, and I do think this is a big problem where you've got um, women with you know quite large Twitter followerships who um, who use their social media accounts to create certain narratives and I see these narratives as very much kind of um, myth making uh, in terms of the creation of goodies and baddies you know some someone like Kelly J being thoroughly demonized I mean thoroughly demonized and more recently you know the British journalist she recently kind of apropos of nothing completely unprovoked I don't think she, she certainly hadn't had any encounter with with Kelly J, she hadn't had any interaction with her. I don't think she's ever met her. Apropos of nothing, um, suddenly called her, called Kelly J a racist shit on, I think, I don't know if it was Twitter or Facebook the other day, just out, out of the blue, but it's just kind of really disgusting um, bullying and defamation that's going on. Um, but I also, I also see, sorry, just to see where, where I observe it, this kind of also really um, quite nauseating, sort of 
mutual self-aggrandizing going on where you know there's all this playing out of mutual admiration that this one's amazing you're amazing you're but these other ones are shits and so it just seems to be this kind of ludicrous really really um i i guess i don't know juvenile playing out of the creation of of kind of gods and monsters on social media and i think that is a that is a phenomenon in itself that's obviously not unrelated to the whole kind of social media construction or social you know, media construction of transgenderism and it seems to me that that is a problem because it has very very little to do with reality you know it's it's about taking a certain um, a fragment a tiny social media fragment of an impression of someone and then creating a whole kind of myth around them whether it is uh, you know elevating them to the stratosphere or you know denouncing them as you know these terrible villains so I don't know what you think about that Julian but that seems to me very much at play as well well, there's a power play, definitely, and it, it's very evident in the UK, and it's very class-based. So, I mean, there are those of us who have PhDs who haven't fed into this, but I do know there was an assumption I would, because early on, after I wrote my first 2013 essay, many women in the UK contacted me, met up, there was this thing called dark Twitter, and there seemed to be this nice feminism very early on developing such that, well, we can reach people. Well, what's happened is it's created a division in the movement of reality and logic. You mm. cannot, on the one hand, say that men cannot become women and stand by that and say, you know, we really know that they can't. But in public, we have to do this. And this is where, like the other day, I spoke to Nick Williams, who talked to me about something I did not know. When she went to a massively important meeting for sports in Switzerland, she was back turned. She was treated badly, all for saying male. She was mm -hmm. telling me in the interview how it was important for her to say trans woman because that got her in the door. Now, I can understand that as a tactic. It sort of reminds me of the 1980s Miss California, where a feminist won. And she ripped off the sash and underneath the sash of Miss California was another sash that said beauty contests hurt women. So she sort of mm -hmm. usurped that language to get in. Now, I understand where Nick's coming from in terms of activism. And I can actually say, OK, do what you have to do to get through the door and then trash the place, you know. But what I don't get is where people who write articles, who are in academic positions, who have protected jobs, especially are trying to push the, well, let's be nice. And meanwhile, mm. accusing you and Posey of taking money from the Heritage Foundation, which oh, bald face lie. <laughs> I mean, that's shocking as well. That's, yeah, that's a story, Julian, just to, just to kind of, I mean, that, those are absolute lies. And it's shocking to me that women can get away with doing that and still maintain a kind of a, a, a very, you know, a high status position, because I think so much of it is about status and jockeying for position. Um, and, you know, the fact that there, well, there was a tweet by, by Julie Bindle saying that Posey, oh, such an absurdly phrasing, uh, a took the Heritage Foundation coin, which is an absolute lie. And I, I don't know that she's been seriously challenged about that. She certainly hasn't, to my knowledge, ever apologized or retracted that. And so it just seems very odd that some of these women who are very concerned about what gets said about them by TRAs um, also behave in, you know, pretty strikingly similar ways to, to other women. But also what you were saying there about this getting your foot in the door, I think it's one thing to maybe uh, use the language in order to get your foot in the door. And then when you're in there to really be, you know, to use that position to be very, very clear and kind of do the equivalent of re revealing the, you know, the other sash. Um, but they don't do that. They don't then use clear language when they're in the door. They just continue to they continue to um, use the language of transgenderism. And and anyone who says like male bodied rather than a man, I think it's it's just going a little stage further in in euphemistic language. So I I don't I don't actually see that happening. It's it's very um, 
you know, all this use of like a male bodied person. Well, there is a name for that and it's man. So just say it, you know, I just feel it's all just levels of, of euphemism. Well, do you remember um, in the 1970s biorhythms? Everyone was into biorhythms. I was a small kid <laughs> and there was a magazine biorhythms. Well, it is the biggest hokum. And of course it didn't make its way into the eighties because it's bullshit science. It's not science, it's, it's anti-science. Yeah. How is it then? that we are still battling this. We thought we got over so many things historically, but this has come back and ushered forth by many women, not just second wave feminists, by the way. There's this double take that a lot of women do to accede these men's fantasies. Why is it that women just can't say no to men? You know? I mean, one. One thing that I have noticed again, and because I'm not on Twitter, but I, I, I I'm, I'm not as much up to speed as you know, some of the women who are. But certainly, the sense that I'm getting is that that stance of using the preferred pronouns, like a lot of women have absolutely seen through that now, and I think uh, that yeah, a lot of women have absolutely rejected it. So I do think there's been a shift over the last, I don't know, maybe year or so. Um, and I think maybe because it is just so completely illogical, but also because it has terrible political consequences. I think there are um, a lot, yeah, there's a lot of women who are still active on Twitter who do challenge, who do challenge that, who challenge the very... Um, uh, kind of inconsistent politics of of some of these uh, ones with the you know the, the big sort of you know big Twitter followerships. I, I think there there is. I don't know how much you've seen of that, but that's that's very heartening. And I think there's a kind of a, a reinvigorated interest in just a more radical, uh, more radical feminist um, perspectives generally. And I, so I think there is that. But obviously, what's happened is that the ones who are in a position to, you know, you have to be in a, generally speaking, you have to be in a fairly privileged position to be able to sort of take the, take the time and have the resources to write a book. So it's kind of gone from the Twitter sphere now and the bit of the kind of uh, public meetings now into this new level. And so a certain story is being, um, is, is being uh, circulated now via via these books as well so it's yeah it's it's still it's still kind of messy I think in terms of the different stories that are, that are kind of competing but I do see, absolutely see more of a challenge to the um, uh, I think maybe women are just losing patience with it um, uh, and, and just refusing to do it now which which I think is, is really good.